0: Hot today. Hmm. we got mic problems all over the place. Often, um, uh, when two different terms can be used to describe the, the same thing, uh, or when they uh, are two terms that are clearly related, though they seem different, we will often say that they are two sides of the same coin, right? Uh, for example, we might speak of, the, of emotions such as love and hate. Though they are seemingly very different, we know that often the lines between the two can be blurred. Uh, and they are often a lot more similar than we expect. And so we will say of them that they are two sides of the same coin. Another good example of this might be the idea in business of risk and reward, right? Uh, you know that, that in order to be successful, there, there has to be a certain amount of risk involved. Even if it's just the startup capital that you put into it, there has to be a certain amount of risk in order to gain the reward. And so we will say they are two sides of the same coin. Now, I begin there this morning because I want to suggest to you uh, that what we have here before us is really the flip side of what we have considered for the past two or three weeks. Uh, You remember in chapters 12 and 13, uh, we considered uh, in a very uh, upfront way the, the judgment of God, the judgment that is to come. We considered the need for repentance, the need to turn from our sin and turn to Christ. That's what Jesus calls us to in those passages over and over and over again. He points us to the reality of his future coming. He challenges us to be ready, right? And so we have on the one side of this coin uh, that idea of judgment. The axe, as he said, as John said back in chapter 3, is laid against the root. Unless we repent by faith, he will one day us down. But on the other side of that, as we consider the end times, as we consider what is to come, we also have this idea that that is really uh, one of the key uh, principles of Christ's public ministry. In fact, it might be the heart of Jesus's public ministry outside of just the simple proclamation of salvation. And it is this idea of the kingdom of God, right? Uh, If you think back over the Gospels, this a a quick reading will show you that this is the the concept that Jesus presents over and over and over again. We've seen that here in the Gospel of Luke. If you go back to chapter 4, and in verse 43, Jesus says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Uh, If you go to Mark chapter 1, and you look at verse 14, It says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And then one last one from Matthew chapter 24, uh, and in verse 14 as well, he says, And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And so another maybe more hopeful way, or at least for those of us who are Christians, a hopeful way to consider the future, to consider eschatology, the the end times, is to think about this coming kingdom. To think about the kingdom, actually, that in some real way is even here and now. Now please, don't don't get me wrong. What, What I'm saying to you here today is not that these two concepts of judgment and kingdom. Not that they can be separated completely, because we know that they can't. They are truly two sides of the same coin. Again, if you go back to that passage in Mark, uh, Mark chapter 14, I mean, Mark chapter 1 and in verse 14, he says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. In other words, both of these concepts, judgment and the kingdom, they are meant to push us to the same result. They are meant to push us to faith They are meant to push us to repentance. And so in that sense, again, they are the the two sides of this coin that we're looking at. When we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. What are we praying for? Yes, on one side, we're praying that that God's kingdom would be established here as it is in heaven. But what's the flip side of that? We're praying that he would come as he comes in Revelation, the king riding in with his judgment. We're praying both of those things every time we pray that prayer. So we have this before us, and having considered the one-side judgment over the past few weeks, today we want to take up the other side. We want to consider Christ's kingdom. Now, as I said, this is a very broad and very big topic that takes up pages and pages and pages of theological work. And so obviously we're not going to have time to, to cover all of that in one sermon or even in a whole series of sermons. And so I would point you to several works. There's a guy named Gehardus Voss, who is kind of the, the father of these things. He's really not. Jesus is the father of these things, but you know what I mean. Go read him. He's great. Uh, newer guys. Martin Lloyd-Jones has some stuff on this. Joel Beeke has some stuff. Any systematic, thio- systematic theology is going to have a great work on the kingdom. And my point here is that that there's plenty out there, and I encourage you to go and find it. But today, what I want you to see are really three things. I want you to see what kind of people qualify for the kingdom. What kind of people is the the kingdom of God for? I want you to notice here in this passage the nature of the kingdom, and I want you to consider how the kingdom grows. Not, Not only in a future sense, not only as we look ahead to what is to come, but how it grows even here and now. Okay? So, before we jump into that, though, let me say this. Uh, there is something important that we've already addressed several different times. I've struggled with it as I've talked to you, and it's, it's, it's been on my mind. Uh, but, but as we think about the kingdom, there's this issue of now and not yet, right? Right? Uh, As we we think about the kingdom of God, as we read back through all that Jesus says, clearly he presents this as something that is to come, something that is in the future. The whole book of Revelation, at least in part, is proof positive that in the future the kingdom will be consummated and established forever. I was having this conversation with someone the other day about the book of Revelation and what it's there for, and at least part of the point, maybe the, the, the biggest point, is to show us that there's hope, is to point us to the future and say, the kingdom is established. It is a done deal. The victory is won. And so we can think of it certainly in that future sense, uh, but also as you read through what Jesus says, it's clear that in some sense the kingdom is here even now. That that even now, we as Christians can can say we are citizens of this kingdom. That, That even now, we can say we receive the benefits of those who are part of that kingdom. We can say even now we live in the hope of this kingdom. Now, all of this may be to you as clear as mud, Uh, And that's okay. But what I want to assure you is that this idea of already and not yet, as we think about the kingdom, it it is one of the the great concepts that we have in Scripture. It, It does give us hope, real and lasting, concrete hope, now and in the future. You know, we sing in that great hymn, Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. And this is why we can sing those things. Because the king has come. And because he has come, his kingdom has broken into this present evil age. No, it is not fully consummated. Evil is still here with us to some degree. Satan is still here with us. Sin is still here with us, even now. But the kingdom is here. The kingdom has come to some degree. And so as we walk through this world, as we go to work, as we suffer tragedies, as we sit by the bedside of someone that we love, as we cry out to God, what's, what's happening here? Friends, the solid hope that we have is we are citizens of his kingdom. He is the king who reigns even now. He is on the throne And so no matter what this world may throw at us, no matter what dangers, toils, or snares may come our way, we can can endure it all, not because we are strong, but because he is the king, and he has made us his own. But also, as we walk through this world, and you think about the Christians who were reading this in that first century, Christians who were being persecuted on every side, there's also a solid hope for the future. There was also a solid hope for what would come one day. Yes, they had that hope in the midst of it, but they could look ahead and they could say, hey, one day it will not be this way anymore. One day he's going to come and make all things new. One day he is going to wipe every tear from our eyes. All this that we have experienced, he will make it good. He will make it right. So we have both of those concepts working in our minds all the time. friends. This, and, and this is the point that I'm trying to get to, okay? So pick back up with me here. This is our worldview. This is how we see everything everywhere, not just as we're gathered here to worship right now. In everything, again, at our jobs, at our, our social clubs, in our families, wherever. We see everything under the reign of our king. Everything. That's how we view the world. We're not just part-time Christians. We're not just part-time citizens. Everywhere we go, we represent the king. And so maybe the, the way to begin this today is to ask, are you a member of that kingdom? And if so, are you living as if you are a member of that kingdom? But well, with that in mind... That gets us finally to the first point that I want to make from this passage,
1: and it is
0: kingdom identity. That's the first thing I want you to see here, is kingdom identity. We ask the question, are you a part of this kingdom? And If so, are you living as if you are? And in this story, we see both of those things. In verses 10 through 13, in the story of this woman, we see what true kingdom identity looks like. Now, this story, it should be pretty familiar to us, right? If you've paid attention as we've studied Luke's gospel, this is a a circumstance that he has presented to us over and over and over again. It begins with a desperate need. A desperate need. Ben has explained it to us already, but just remember this woman has had this disability for 18 years. She has struggled, she has suffered under all of these things. And we might expect that that she would at some point have turned from God, that she might have gone the other way. But, But notice what it says about this woman. Surely people saw her, and as we saw last week, they assumed about her that this was from something that she had done. She had caused this in her life. But notice, Jesus says in verse 16 that she is a daughter of Abraham. Daughter of Abraham. You know, at the very least, what Jesus is saying is that she was a member of the covenant community of faith. But I would suggest to you that there's even more here, that she is a faithful member of that community. And you see it, secondly, in the fact that what day is it that all of this happens on? Where is she on that day? verse 10, she's in the synagogue on the Lord's Day, right? Now, friends, I want to be careful here. But this should be extremely convicting to us. Here is a woman who has every reason, every excuse to stay home. She has every reason not to to show up anywhere at any time. But where do we find her here? Think about how difficult it must have been for her just to, to get up out of the bed. It said that her disfigurement was so bad that everyone could see it, that she was hunched over. I'm sure there was a certain amount of pain involved in that. But even if there wasn't, consider the reception she would have received when she got there. You know, again, we've seen this in others. Remember the lady that, that had the, the uh, loss of blood for so many years? She was unclean. Nobody would even get near to her. We see it in the leper. And surely that was the same for this woman. People would have seen her. As religiously unclean. So when she walked in the door, it would have been cold stairs. It would have been distance. It would have been, why is she even here? Right? It's the same story we've seen over and over and over again. She had every reason not to come. For 18 years, 18 years, she had heard the whispers. And obviously she has been faithful, but it would have been very easy for her to say, you know what, maybe God has left me to this. Maybe he has abandoned me. Maybe this is just what I'm going to have to endure, and so I'm going to stay where I am. Now friends, the the point that I'm trying to make is that given all of that, it would not be surprising to not read of this woman in Scripture, to not see her worshiping her God On the Sabbath day, yet here she is, a daughter of Abraham, ready to worship, ready to praise. In many ways, she she is already faithfully living out her kingdom identity. Now, time won't allow me to pursue this like I want it to, and I I realize in many ways that I'm preaching to the choir here because you are here. But this woman, she she shows us the, the truth of how we live out, at least in part, our kingdom identity. We live, live it out by worshiping him. Yes, in our individual lives, we glorify him in all that we do. But we also glorify him here, together, corporately, as a body. It's what a privilege it is to gather. I'm going to say something, and I'm saying it to my own heart as much as I'm saying it to you, so I say this up front. But... It is very difficult for us to sit here in this sanctuary for 30 minutes or an hour without getting real antsy. But I can go home and I can watch football for three and a half hours. I can go home and do a lot of things for three and a half hours. I can go sleep I can do a lot of things for a long time. But we have very little time, it seems, to give to our God, to give to our Lord, the one who has made us, the one who has redeemed us. I want to read to you what J.C. Ryle says, and this is where I'll end it. He says, Let us never forget that our feelings about Sundays are sure tests of the state of our souls. The man who can find no pleasure in giving God one day in a week is manifestly unfit for heaven. Heaven itself is nothing but an eternal Sabbath. If we cannot enjoy a few hours in God's service once a week in this world, it is plain that we cannot enjoy an eternity in his service, in the world to come. As I ask you, how do we feel about this day? How do we handle the Lord's day? This woman who actually was under all of this because she was under attack from Satan in verse 11, she was committed to worshiping her king. Do we have that same kind of commitment. Do we understand what Jesus has done for us? If we do, then we will have that commitment as well, okay? Second thing here. Uh, The second part of this kingdom identity that we see is the transformation that comes with it. Uh, She comes to worship that day, and what happens? Again, Ben has has laid it out for us very, very simply and very well, right? She has this disability. She shows up and does she say, Hey Jesus, hey, can you can you do something to help me? Can, Can you fix this? Maybe she showed up because she knew Jesus would be there, but that's not what it says. And she didn't reach out to him and say, hey, you got to heal me. No, it says Jesus saw her. That's a loaded phrase. Because we can be sure that many, many people, almost everyone there besides Jesus, had looked through that woman. They had seen her, and then they had looked the other way. Or they just looked right through her and didn't even acknowledge her presence. But the King of Kings... The the one who created all things. He sees her. He sees her. And not only does he see her, but he reaches out and he puts his hand on her. He touches her. Again, we've covered this many times, so we don't have to do it now. But to touch something that is unclean, what does it do to that person? It makes them unclean. This would have been unheard of. Nobody, no Jewish person would have done what Jesus is doing. He reaches out and touches her and says woman, today you are free. Free. Immediately she is healed. She rejoices. She, she shouts and screams. I don't know if she shouted or screamed either one, but she was worshiping the Lord. Friends, again, as Ben has asked us, how many of us see ourselves in this story? Again, Ryle says, surely... God has given it to us as an illustration of our greatest need, the need of our hearts and of our souls. All of us, we come into this world under the attack of Satan, just like this woman. Not only that, but, but unlike this woman, all of us have bought into that attack wholesale. We have all rebelled against him, right? We are all, with all of our might, running the other way. What does this king do? Is he he content to let us run? Is he content to let us get as far away as we can be? As we're going to see in just a couple chapters, he is the good shepherd. He is the one who pursues us, who comes after us. He's not content just to let us go, to let us be out there on our own. No, he comes and he finds us. He puts his hand on us. He says, repent and believe. I am the resurrection and the life. None come to the Father but through me. Repent and believe. It's by His Word and by His Spirit He reaches out and He touches us so that we are by His blood shed on our behalf made clean. In Him we are raised to newness of life. We are given new identities. Kingdom identities in Him. Friends, this, this is what Jesus offers to, who any, who, to, to any who may come. No, no matter your sin, no matter how far you may have wandered off the path, even if you think your sin is the worst of all, this story and so many like it, again, are proof positive that Jesus loves sinners. Even the worst of sinners, no matter what you may have done. There is no sin too great that his mercy cannot cover. And if you don't think, if you think I'm telling you a lie, think to that verse of Paul in 1 Timothy. He says it's a trustworthy statement, deserving of full acceptance, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners, who I am the chief. Paul meant that. That wasn't just something he said offhand. That's how he viewed himself. He knew that if he could be saved, anyone could be saved. Friends, if Jesus could heal this woman who had been disabled for 18 years, if he could invite her in, then, friends, he has the power. He has the authority. and He has the will to save you as well. He can do it. And, friends, we're going to stop there this morning. I'm going to read to you one more passage from J.C. Ryle. He says, Let us hold fast this blessed truth and never let it go. Let us never despair about our salvation. Our sins may be countless. Our lives may have been spent long in worldliness and folly. Our youth may have been wasted in soul-defiling excesses of which we are solely ashamed. Are we willing to come to Christ and commit our souls to Him? If so, there is hope. He can heal us thoroughly and say, Thou art loosed from thine infirmity. Again, that's where we're going to pause today. We'll pick this back up next week. But I want to ask you as we close, what defines your identity? I realize when I said those words early, and I realize when I say it now, that is a loaded question in the world that we live in. Are you defined by what this world says about you? Are you defined about what social media or marketers or or, uh, supposed friends or family, maybe you're defined by by your job, your your social standing, whatever it is. What are you defined by? What is your identity? Maybe the winner is is that we've bought into the lie that that the only person who can define who we are is me. can I tell you that, that none of those things are true, and none of those things will do the job. Not because they're bad, not because they're unchristian, but simply because we have been made in the image of the one and true God. Only He can define who we are. Only He can give us real value and real worth. Have you trusted in Him today? Has He said to you, child, you are free. Are you resting in a new kingdom identity? In, in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he uh, raised Jesus from the dead, then you will be saved. Do you believe that today? Are you trusting in him? Have you confessed with your mouth He is indeed Lord. I encourage you to do so. I encourage you to come find your identity in this great King as we pray together. Father, as we consider these things, difficult things, challenging things to be sure, things that make us squirm a little bit, Father, we pray that you would speak to us in your might, in your care. Show us the reality of who we are. Show us our need for transformation. Show us our need for a new identity. Uh, Lord, if we're resting in ourselves or in anything of this world, uh, then, Father, we are uh, bound to to be disappointed. Uh, And so we pray that you would show us the only sure ground. Point us to Jesus, our Savior, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And as we go out from this place, uh, Lord, may we serve, may we live as those who are a part of that kingdom. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.